America is slowly dying of a self-inflicted wound from a weapon that we're supplying. The past seeds of hatred that race in our bloodstream. We can't agree to disagree on the most basic of things. What's a man? What's a woman? What's the shape of the earth? When does human life begin? A conception or during birth? Meanwhile, the projects is more violent and the Democratic Party stays silent. That's poverty pimping. That's when politics are poverty driven and they pander to poor communities to get moral impunity. Capitalism is a black man's hell, but Marxism comes from Europe as well. It's not African. So pick a side to collect from. We run away from one slave master into the arms of the next one. And every two to four years they pump fear And we auction off our vote in exchange for some false hope Listen, it's that blatant Enslave us through taxation Send money to Ukraine And you paying at the gas station Cause this administration had plans for the inflation Natural gas is the actual task Check the pipeline Now they wanna fight crime We tools in the plot They wasn't talking gun reform back when Boo Boo got shot Drug addiction was not a disease when Nunu had rocks Now they change and readjust words Cause meth is in the suburbs in the 90s, Biden locked up our people for coke. Now he's using taxpayer dollars to buy pipes so niggas can smoke. You don't see the contradiction? Or you too busy double tap dancing to pay attention? This is legislative lynching, economic Jim Crow. They feed us violence and spirits to keep us spiritually po. Is this conspiracy? No, far beyond the music. That crime bill Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. This is episode 60. David Penn here, starting off with... Uh, some real feedback from uh, We the People. And uh, today, I'm, I'm on fire inside, so we're going to see where we're going to go with this. I try to be very scripted, but uh, sometimes we have to go off-road, off-script a little bit. And we started out with something that uh, really criticizes the entire script. This guy could have his own Professor Penn podcast because he wrapped it all down in, in a very short summary of where we're at. He was saying the whole thing's a scam. Like, hey, President Biden's putting the community in jail in the 90s, and now the government's passing out crack pipes. Come on. What is going on here? What is going on? Well, we know what's going on. You know. I know. It's just hard to say it. Hard to say it out loud uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't want to become unmoored. We don't want to deal with the reality that comes into focus when honesty replaces fantasy. What we're taught to do is have fantasy replace reality. Hey, watch football this weekend? How many people in the audience? Did you watch any football this weekend? I did not. I did not either. But we have people in our audience that watch football, right? Fantasy. That's a fantasy. Go to the movies this weekend? You did not. I did not, know. Neither did I. Fantasy. Pure fantasy. Watching the news? Who's a Fox News viewer? Pure fantasy. MSNBC. Fantasy. We're living in a fantasy dream world that's meant to blind us to the truth. Hey, Tanner, yeah. you got to watch The Matrix. Start with The Godfather. You know, if you watch the live chat when I bring this up. <laughs> Why do you keep putting me on spot? Because I'm this. putting you on the spot, brother. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're going to get down today and we're going to start out with, you know, just talking about the anger of the people is building. It's very interesting how this works. Um, the, the least among us 
have the most modest investment in the system continuing because the system never worked for them in the first place. So they're the first people to jump up and say, hey, this is a scam. Now, where I live out in uh, the western suburbs of Minneapolis, which is, you know, we have a mixed population. We have some very affluent people and we have some, some modest people. Uh, when people have food in their belly and they live in their own home and they, they've got a car, they're saying, hey, it's working pretty good for me. It's working pretty good for me. We, we have uh, quite a, a large political organization working here. And I, and I noticed that many people that, you know, that I have personally brought into the movement, uh, people my own age, let's just put it that way, when push comes to shove, when the bright light shines on them, they really don't want change. They want a little incremental tinkering, but they don't really want the kind of broad-based change that I seek, that I know is necessary, because the whole system, as we saw in that opening, that cold open, I'm with the guys in that car. I see the entire system as being bankrupt. I mean ideologically and philosophically bankrupt, at its very base. And this calls for great change. Uh, you use the word revolutionary change. Well, what's a revolution? You know, a revolution can be guns, pitchforks, clubs. You know, that's a revolution. We're going to have a revolution. Hey, a revolution is uh, a rabbi showing up and say, treat your neighbor as you want your neighbor to treat you. That's kind of a different idea when we're living in a Darwinist nightmare, right? Darwinist nightmare, survival of the fittest. And here comes a rabbi, and he says, yeah, well, you know, Darwinism. Of course, they didn't call it back at that time of Christ. They didn't call it Darwinism. It was what they observed in the natural way. And he said, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Stop. Why don't you treat other people as you'd like them to treat you, and we'll put a little soft edge on this Darwinism. We'll balance it out with some spiritual insight. That's revolutionary. And we're really living in a counter-revolutionary moment. This is counter-revolution we're living in. The revolution was how we treat our neighbors. Isn't that interesting? So <clears throat> I should do a little bit of business here. I should say thanks to Free People Radio. We're truth-seeking media. Truth-seeking. We're going to talk a little bit about seeking the truth today. We're talk about critical thinking. The whole process is about critical thinking. Seeking the truth, not taking it on a platter served to us essentially by the mainstream media, which is an organ of the state. When will we understand that we have the illusion of choice, not real choice? When will we understand as the American people? When will the people that I love that are around me recognize that talking about Democrats and Republicans is a fantasy? A fantasy. It's irrelevant. There's one party in this country, one, one uni party, one party. It's working together. They're a, pack, they're a pack of wolves, and we, the American people, are the prey. There are a handful, a handful of people that are actually concerned about the American people, and the votes call them out. We can call them out. We can talk about them. A handful. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to check out the real situation. Where really are we? Which is another thing about the fantasy. 
you know, when you get to reality and you recognize where we're really at, hey, it's hard to get up in the morning. I know I'm struggling with it. It's like, wow, this isn't so fun. I'm on, I'm on a prison planet. Whoa, <laughs> geez, I don't know if I can deal with this. I have to find the faith to deal with it. Kind of makes everything come together. The second time in my life this has happened to me. Precinct Strategy, precinctstrategy.com, Dan Schultz, for everything you need to know to get into the game of politics. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Now, I say this with a caveat. You can get in the game without joining a party, okay? You don't have to be a party functionary because, quite frankly, the parties are getting really good at taking all this energy of protest and anger and grinding the people to dust. What we really need to do, every single one of us, we need to figure out how to become delegates in whatever party you choose, Democrat Party, Republican Party. I mean, there's other parties. But by being a delegate, this does not mean you're out knocking on doors and going to chicken wing parties and hanging around with a bunch of people you don't like. That's not what it means. It means you have a vote as a delegate to say how the parties function and who the parties endorse. This is critical, who the parties endorse. We want to have a choice in our politics? Become a delegate. How do you do it? Well, here in Minnesota, which is the same thing all over the country, it's just a little different whatever state you're in. You go to caucuses in Minnesota. It's February 27th. You go to your caucus, that's your neighborhood meeting at your high school. Go there, get elected as your precinct delegate. Be a precinct delegate. Then a couple weeks later, you'll go to your Senate District Convention. As a precinct delegate, run there to be a Senate District Delegate. Hey, baby, once you got that, you are empowered. You have a stake in the game. You got a seat at the table. It takes 24 hours a year. When you're sitting around complaining in your mind, particularly after you go through this with me today, because you can tell I'm wound. I'm wound tight. I'm like a rattlesnake in spring this morning. You know what a rattlesnake in spring is? You know, in spring, the rattlesnake, you know, has been sleeping and wakes up, hasn't bitten anything, have done anything, full of venom, full of the ability to take life. And then some poor farmer or some poor hunter stumbles across that rattlesnake in spring, and that son of a bitch in trouble. Because that's a rattlesnake in spring. And that's how I feel today. Because I've checked out the real situation. I've thought about the real situation. I've even had to apologize to a friend of mine, an activist. His name is Tom. I apologized to him. I thought he was a little too radical even for Professor Penn. Boy, I found out he was a, a, a pathfinder, a pace setter. He was absolutely right. And we're going to talk about that today. I've come about it a different direction. I have to see it in my own way. Remember, we have to see it for ourselves. We have to see it for ourselves. Nobody can give you this information. Now, you know, you're watching me, so I think that many of you are pretty aware, pretty awake, pretty fired up. And I'm going to ask you, help me grow the engagement. Tell your friends. Tell your co-workers, you know, this, this is really what it's all going to boil down to. People are waking up. We know there's a higher level of awareness than there's been 
maybe since World War II. I mean, hey, when you go to the death camps and you see people starve to death and millions of bodies, hey, people wake up. Human beings can be completely evil. Completely. I mean, just they just give over to it and go all the way. Darwinists. Well, we haven't had that level of honesty for a long time, and it's coming. People are seeing it. If we, the people in this audience, the people like us, do not continue to spread the word, get past the judgment that we don't talk about religion and politics with our friends and family. That's all there is to talk about if we want to live. You were telling me that's a problem in your generation talking about politics, right? Yeah, for the most part. I've kind of accepted as a challenge is finding more creative ways of kind of leading a discussion so then I can let their brains put it together. I don't know if that makes sense, but... I got a blast for you. What's up? I'm done with old people. <laughs> done. You know, there's a line in The Matrix, another, another movie you need to get on your required viewing list. There's a line Morpheus says to Neo, we have a rule, we don't wake up a mind past a certain age because, you know, it can lead to people losing it. The older people, they're gripped onto this thing. They just can't let go. But you young people, you know you're screwed, don't you? Well, <clears throat> it's there's the few that know that they're screwed, and then there's the other ones that have just kind of been conditioned that they think everything's okay. They think their worries are not what the real worries actually are. Their mm. worries are orange man bad. So that kind of simple thing. Well, there's great. I mean, if they're watching, if they're watching, if they're getting their news from their digital device and they're not actively seeking out more source of, sources of information and they haven't been taught to think critically, which, of course, they have not because they're your age. Yeah. Now, you're a pretty good critical thinker. I don't know why you turned out that way. I think in my family. I mean, really, good job. Good job, well, thank mom and you. dad. <laughs> but, you know, I, I run into a lot, of, a lot of young people, and they neither think creatively nor do they work hard. I mean, this is just my opinion. Now, in my generation, my group of people, hey, we were like, I'll leave you with this thought. This is how I learned how to swim. I was five years old. I was thrown in a swimming pool. That's how they taught us to swim. There was no swim school. Like, I took all my kids to swim school. It was great. Yeah. Taught them all. How, here's how a guy picked me up. He was a Marine next to our neighbor. He had two twin sons that were my friends, Scott and Bill. And he ended up being the director of the local swimming pool. And it had just been commissioned. No one had ever swum in, it, swum, swam in this pool before. It was a big Olympic pool. It was beautiful. The water was about 40 degrees. They just filled it. He said, boys, it's time for you all to learn how to swim. And he threw all three of us in the pool. I remember. It was quite a thrill. That's how they treated us before things got so kind. Now, he had served in World War II as a Marine. He had a different idea about things. That's all gone away now. So we were, we're gentle and fuzzy. Except we're mutilating people left and right. We're starving pe people are starving throughout the world we have so much violence going on that there's some of you going to think oh the guy threw me in the pool he was horrified not as horrifying as starving a population like it's happening happening in in africa and for those of you that are following the news why are all these central and south americans pouring across our border well one reason is the border's open but the other reason is there's nothing there but death 
Their economies have been destroyed. They're not, if life was good in Argentina or in Venezuela or in Chile or in Nicaragua, they wouldn't be coming up here. Let's remember, how do things happen? And this is my point for the day, not an accident. You know, I like to pray it, you know, on these uh, podcasts, and I do that for myself. And I got to thinking, because I've got a great one today, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because it occurs to me we're going to give the viewers a break on this. There might be some of you out there that don't like this praying thing. We got to get there step by step. Like when we go over this next section, which I call voting. Voting. That's V O T I N G. Voting. After we talk about this for a while, you might want to pray. And someone might say, Hey, Professor Penn, could you please pray? Because we're down to the praying place now. It's very important. If you go back, if you're a new viewer and you're a new listener, and you go back and you, this is number 60, right? This is number 60. Episode 60. If you go back over the previous 59, you're going to see a historical review of the ideas that brought us to the place we're at today. And, uh, you know, like the security state, I've played several times Herman Kahn from the Hudson Institute in the 1950s talking about developing the kind of digital technologies of control that we're living in right now, today. This has been worked on for over a hundred years. This is the hardest thing for us to understand. And the people my age, hey, they just don't get it. They're so used to things being, in their own mind, natural. It just happens. You know, that's not the way it goes down. It's not the way it goes down. These things are highly programmed, highly planned, if you have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. So let's just talk about voting. Because we must be honest with each other. I must be honest with myself. This goes to my friend Tom. You know, my friend Tom has been talking about this since I've met him. And I actually at one time said, hey, you got to stop talking about this. You're going to hurt people's enthusiasm. But actually, and here's what he was saying, it doesn't matter. Well, let me just share a fact with you because um, I can attest to this. I personally, and when I say personally, I mean I personally did this research myself. And the reason why I do that is I have people that I can ask to do research for me. The reason why I did the research myself is I want to make sure I got it right. You know, we need 270 electoral college votes to win a presidential election in the United States of America. That's the magic number. And for those of you that don't know this, let me just say this. We don't have a, a direct democracy in the sense that we do have a vote. Tanner has a vote. I have a vote. People have votes, right? They get the vote. But all of these elections really are local by state. And to blunt the power of a mob, the founding fathers created the Electoral College so that each state by population has a certain number of votes by state to elect a president. It's called the Electoral College. 
And, you know, there's all kinds of law about this and history, and it's interesting. So it's 270 to win. Well, there's a thing that happened here in Minnesota. It's called um, AVR, Automatic Voter Registration. And I noticed this because I'm a Minnesota political activist, and the Republican Party lost all power in the 22 election cycle, and the Democrat Party has the governor and the state Senate and the state House. They got the whole deal. And the first bill they passed was automatic voter registration, which means when you go to get your driver's license, you're in Minnesota automatically registered to vote. It's automatic. It's not an opt-in system. You actually have to opt out. Previously, it was an opt-in. They'd say, okay, we're giving you your driver's license. Would you like to check this box and be registered to vote? So there was a little bit of a fall down in there. But now when you get your driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. It's just the way it goes. That was the first bill. The second bill was illegal aliens in Minnesota can legally and lawfully apply for driver's licenses. Because after all, we want to welcome to the, you know, they're, they're here, right? They're here. They're here, and we need to welcome them. And there's all these organizations that are talking about immigrant justice. And, you know, they're really for the immigrants. You know, you're a citizen. I'm a citizen. Hey, you're a citizen. Hey, guess what? Screw you. That's, that's where it's at because they're bringing in all these people. And we know in the back of our minds we're told, well, and you, you know, each one of us is on a certain part of this continuum. We all know these people are just victims of an economic collapse. They're coming up here no different than my family came from Europe, which, by the way, in those days, they weren't letting the Jews in. That's why so many of them perished. It was hard to get in the country. Immigration has always been something that's been restricted. When you go look at the history of the immigration legislation, it fills a 500-page book. I mean, there is so much immigration legislation. This battle's been going on since day one. Who can immigrate? What's their status when they do immigrate? goes on and on. It's full, filled with racism and what they call um, xenophobia, which is keeping out the other. So these people are coming up here, and there's a lot of issues around this. But the one issue that's quite clear to me is it's not an accident because now the first bill was automatic voter registration, and the second bill was illegal residents can apply for lawful Minnesota driver's licenses which means they're automatically registered to vote. That doesn't mean they can legally vote. It means that it's very difficult to sort them out. And, of course, they're on the government payroll. Here's the thing that could get me deplatformed, but it's just a fact. If you're up here as an illegal and your status is controlled by the government, and there's non-governmental organizations that are organized to provide for your welfare, and you don't speak the language, and you're living at survival level, you're going to be highly susceptible to the suggestions of the non-governmental organizations that are operationalizing your stay here in the country. And would it be impossible to think that there's non-governmental organizational actors who are communists, who are telling illegal immigrants to vote, that they have a right 
to vote because they're here. And you don't have to look very far. I can find these people on YouTube telling illegal immigrants to vote no different than I went to my my daughter's college graduation and a professor stood up and said, if you have college loans, don't pay them. You took the loans, you got the PA, you got the degree, you know, you, you know, you've got your degree. Now just stiff the government. Don't pay. You know, so people who are communists, avowed communists, they are not invested in the perpetuation of a system that they view as fundamentally corrupt and needing of being overthrown. So why would it be so far-fetched to think that there are organizations and people that are urging illegal immigrants who now have driver's licenses to go try to vote? So I did a little research, and I said, boy, let me look up for myself how many states have this automatic voter registration. And you know what I found out? It's Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, and D.C. 285 electoral votes are represented by the states that have already passed automatic voter registration laws. Only 252 electoral votes of states do not have this law. And in every one of these states, they've already or are in the process of passing legislation that allows the illegal immigrant to get a driver's license. So what does this mean? It means we've got to have a big change of strategy is what it means. It means the most important role for an American citizen in a state any state, but particularly in the states with automatic voter registration, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to myself. Election judges and absentee ballot boards, that's the last line of defense. Because who's going to actually look up these voters and see if they are actually qualified to vote, if they're citizens? Because we still have a law that says you got to be a citizen to vote, at least for now. That's going to come next. They're going to say, oh, no, if you're here, you can vote. And they've already done that in certain municipalities where they've, re- where they've removed the citizenship requirement for voting. So, you know, when you think about this, and it's not put into a comprehensive net of critical thinking, it's just a bunch of facts, facts. that has to be organized into information and then become wisdom. And the wisdom is... There is a concerted, organized effort by a very group of sophisticated people who are in secret societies to overturn the Constitution of the United States through law and immigration. That's what's going on. You all know it. We know this is going on. It's politics. It's bare knuckle. There is no rules except who wins. We've reached that point. I had a friend of mine who used to say, war does not record who was right or who was wrong, just who's left. And politics is war by other means. So politics is not going to record who's right or wrong, just who wins. These people are not the antagonists that are not for the American citizen, not for human well-being. 
not for freedom. They're for totalitarianism. They're for communism. They're for globalism. They're for worldwide top-down control. Because, of course, we have to save the planet, right? Do you believe that? You got to give up all your freedom to save the planet? I said, it's a great T-shirt for my friend Scott. I'd rather die from a tornado than a tyrant. There's a great T-shirt, right? I'm sure some of you'd like to buy that T-shirt. Guess what? We're going to get one for you. So what we have is a horror, a horrible situation where if we're going to be honest with ourselves, there's already 285 electoral college votes that come from states that have automatic voter registration. And most of them, and soon all of them, are going to have a a law that says illegal aliens can have driver's licenses. And then take it a step farther. Well, how many illegal aliens are here? Well, the the New York Post, which is a you know alleged to be a conservative newspaper or semi-conservative, they estimate that since Biden took office, 3.8 million new illegal immigrants have come into the country. Four million. So in those 23. 20, 23 states in the District of Columbia, that's 150, 160, 170,000 votes per state. And for those of you that are involved in politics, you know that's all you need. That's all you need in any one of these states to perpetually enshrine a Democrat administration, which then spreads out in the state. Okay, great. That's the hand we're dealt. So I'm continuously looking at strategy, and I've realized in politics, strategy lasts but a second. So, for example, here in Minnesota, the Republican Party of Minnesota, which this is coming down from the Republican National Committee, they're really into going out and ballot harvesting now, going out and getting ballots. They're into the ballot thing, which the Democrat Party has been into since 2006. So now here we are. It's uh, 14, 17 years later, and the Republicans, oh, here they come. And they're coming with a strategy that doesn't mean anything because if they don't have their people on the absentee ballot boards, all they're doing is collecting votes for the Democrat. This is how dumb these people are. Yes, you're dumb. Sorry. It's just a fact. Well, let me give you another possibility. You're in on it. I don't know which. I don't care. We're so far behind on strategy. It's, it's, you know, it's maddening. It's frustrating. It makes a person want to give up. Maybe that's why I'm like a rattlesnake in spring today. Because when I look at the stupidity or the complicity of the Republican Party in the uni party and how they're telling the voters of Minnesota to vote early and vote by mail, Vote by mail. They're saying vote by mail. They're actually collecting ballots for absentee ballot boards that are staffed with communists. Because who are the activists on the globalist side of the equation? Communists. You know, it's not. You know, I talked to, who was I talking to? Oh, I was talking to a former candidate. Another horrifying experience for me. He's not going to watch this, of course. And I'm not going to mention his name because, you know, unlike some of my friends that I know, like 
I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to mention any names. There are people that are calling folks out by name. It's really not necessary. This guy was a very major candidate and he said he's looking for the people between the 30 yard line and the 50 yard line. Doesn't want to talk about globalism. Doesn't want to talk about nationalism. He just wants to make sure that the uni party stays in power. You know, great. If you're ministering and evangelizing the 30 to 50 yard line people, in other words, the center of the road, do you think those are the people that are going to give up their afternoon or their day and go into a dangerous part of town where the votes are, that would be the big city, and be on an absentee ballot board and get harassed all day? They're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. The only people that are going on these ballot boards in these election judges where the votes are, where the issues need to really be adjudicated, are activists. And on the nationalist side of the equation, we don't got that many people yet. That's why I'm saying you got to talk to folks. You got to spread the word. You got to spread the word. You got to get the word out. We need the activists in the absentee ballot boards and as election judges to make sure the people that are voting are legally empowered to vote because it's naive to say that if you give a driver's license to a non-citizen, they're not going to try to vote. Of course they are. Of course they are. And then on the other side, the globalist side, the only people that are going to show up are the communists. So they don't believe in the country. They don't like the Constitution. They hate God. They think God's the problem. We're going to look at that a little bit this week. And then what is the, what is the penalty here for me talking like this? Okay, it's called being executed. Execution for what you think and what you say. And we can find out what that's like. Well, right now, they're calling it deplatforming here. So I don't even know if this video will get up. It's hard to say because I'm being very frank about this. And, you know, I'm not saying the system is corrupted to the point where it can't function. I'm saying it only functions if people show up. It's not going to work fairly by itself. Can it work fairly? Yes. Why is it fair? Because these people won these elections. Let's forget about the past. All the people that are looking in the past, get out of the rearview mirror, start looking in your windshield. We got to look at the future and the current. The current is the battle in Minnesota and at these 23 other states in the D.C., the battles at the ballot board, absentee ballot board, and the election judges. Those are the people that are going to determine the future of the next election. Because in all these states, we have all these new arrivals. The, Washington, the New York Post says 3.8 million. Hey, I hear 15 million from other sources. It's somewhere between 4 million and 15 million. I don't know where. You don't know where. And guess what? Nobody knows where because they're illegal. They're not here legally. There's no purchase on who these folks are. So when you talk like this, let's just talk about Saudi Arabia because it's a good microcosm of how things can go down. There's a clip under the execution for speech section, Tanner. It's called Saudi Arabian execution leave families in the dark. Let's play that. The number of executions in Saudi Arabia has almost doubled under the kingdom's current leadership. That's according to new research, and that's despite promises of reform 
from the Crown Prince and de facto leader Mohammed bin Salman. A report by the campaign group Reprieve, shared exclusively with the BBC ahead of publication, also found that the death penalty has been routinely used for non-lethal offences in defiance of international norms. Caroline Hawley has more. These are just a fraction of the hundreds of people put to death by the Saudi state over the past few years. Executions carried out with no warning given to their families. No chance for a last goodbye. Last year, the biggest mass execution in modern Saudi history, 81 in a single day. Among them, Mustafa al-Khayat. Here he is with his nephew Ahmad. And here is Ahmad now with his father and brother, refugees in Germany. Yasser fled Saudi Arabia with his family after his brother's arrest in 2014. Yasser played us the final words his family ever heard from him, a phone call to his mother from jail. When he'd first visited him, he said Mustafa could barely stand from torture. Yasser says he was still trying to appeal when he and dozens of others were executed for their part in anti-government protests, accused of terrorism. Not only did they take their lives, they then intentionally maligned them, accused them of things they've not done, and they kept their bodies. We don't know whether they were given a decent burial. It's been a tragedy for the families. Four days after Mustafa was executed, Boris Johnson arrived in Saudi Arabia and met the Crown Prince, hoping to persuade him to pump more oil to replace Russian imports. Mohammed bin Salman, billed as a moderniser, but for many a morally problematic ally. Salman al-Odi is a prominent cleric who's called for political reform, with millions of followers online. Painted as an extremist, prosecutors are seeking the death penalty for him. His son now has asylum in the US. My father's arrest is really about the silencing of critics, uh, silencing of those who uh, can uh, mobilize the masses, who can uh, make a change, uh, who can dissent. The legal charity Reprieve has been cataloguing a rising trend of executions. Saudi Arabia has a regime of secrecy around the death penalty. So you have people who were arrested, tried, sentenced, to death and then executed in secret. The Saudi embassy in London gave us a statement which didn't address concerns about how the country uses the death penalty, but said, we understand that there are other countries that have different judicial systems and different views about appropriate penalties. And as we respect their right to determine their own laws and customs, we hope that others will respect our sovereign right to follow our own judicial and legislative choices. These men on death row were all tortured into making confessions, according to human rights groups. One, a child at the time of his arrest. For them and their families, the fear that any day could be their last. Caroline Hawley, BBC News. Very fun, isn't it? Okay, so we have a country, a major country, Saudi Arabia, and we've got the BBC. This is the state news network of the crowd, criticizing the Saudis, but you know, there's a an insight that you can come to and, you know, it's not just the Saudis that are executing people for thought crimes and speech crimes. This goes on all over the world, okay? It's going on everywhere. China, 
perfect example. You can't say a single word. Now, I'll tell you, as I've said before, I've been to China many, many, many times, and I watched the evolution of this because there was a period of time there where you could have very lively and very frank and very candid political discussions with very intelligent people that were highly educated, and they enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it, and we'd sit there with tea and smoke fantastic Chinese cigarettes, and it was a wonderful exchange of ideas, and that's some of the the best memories of my life is the cross-cultural interchange I had with educated people from around the world where they could speak frankly, and then there was a day that came, and it was like, I know when I snap my fingers like that, probably doesn't come through very well, but it was just a snap of a finger. It changed because when the regime changed in China, everybody figured out real quickly that that openness had ended. And, I, you know, the same thing is in Turkey. The same thing is in many countries around the world that I've been to. People cannot speak freely because they're very nervous for their survival, their safety, their freedom. Even their lives are at risk. And we're moving into that kind of a world now. And this, these ex- ex- executions in Saudi Arabia actually has a chilling effect even on Professor Penn because I know what's going on. And they're deplatforming people that you and I watch, that we enjoy, that we've learned from. They're indicting people. I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing with this. So when I come and I come to you and I'm saying I'm giving over and I mean it, I'm not praying today because for those that are not prayerful, I don't want to get put in a corner where this is turning into some kind of a preacher program. But when I pray, I'm praying because it's all I've got. It's really all I've got. I mean, when I check out the real situation, when I think about where the world is really at and how completely sold out the people are to the conveniences provided to them by technology, and I look over the next hill and I see what technologies are coming, and I look at what I see, and you got to see it for yourself, with critical thinking and discernment. When I see it for myself, I go, whoa, that's all I got left is prayer. And so sometimes I like to pray in front of you because I get a pop out of that. I don't get to pray in these mornings where I do my early morning uh, recordings. You know, we come in, we're doing it at 7 a.m. Now, this is 7 a.m. It's Tuesday, right? Yep. So this <laughs> is going to post up tonight. But I didn't get a chance to do my morning routine because I'm here at 7. So I do it. I do it really for myself. And I, I'm thinking maybe that's a little selfish. So we're going to spread it out a little bit. I'm going to read something else that's like a prayer. This is the prayer for the other side. The intelligence community, I see, assesses that domestic violent extremists, DVEs, who are motivated by a range of ideologies and galvanized by recent political and societal events in the United States, pose an elevated threat to the homeland in 2021. During domestic, enduring, enduring domestic violent extremist motivations pertaining to biases against minority populations and perceived government overreach. Let me say this again, because they even come up with an acronym, DVE, DVE. That would be domestic violent extremists. Enduring domestic violent extremist motivations pertaining to biases against minority populations and perceived government overreach will almost certainly continue to drive 
domestic violent extremist radicalization and mobilization to violence, newer sociopolitical developments, such as narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic, and conspiracy theories promoting violence will almost certainly spur some domestic violent extremists to try to engage in violence this year. And who wrote this? That would be our government. Our government, our government, domestic violent extremists. What's a domestic violent extremist? Well, they tell you. They tell you right here. Narratives of fraud in the recent general election. You know, YouTube, you can't really deplatform me for reading the president's white paper on domestic extremism. This is where it gets weird. I'm actually spreading their message. Fraud in the recent general election. The emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol. That wasn't really an emboldening impact. It was kind of an embarrassment. I sat there and watched that with my mouth hanging open because these people were dumb, and they were dumb, 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 dumb. Had I been in Washington, D.C., this is man. if you were there and you did something different, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you what I would have done. If I would have watched people breaching fences and going into the Capitol, I would have said, hey, Royce, let's go to the hotel. You know, there's things you can and can't do. Okay, there's things you can and can't do. You can get onto an absentee ballot board. You can have more impact. That's one day or two or three days every other year. There's far more radical revolutionary impact in that than there is getting clipped by going someplace that's you know that you shouldn't be. We'll talk about that later. If YouTube wants to deplatform me, for telling people to fulfill their constitutionally mandated roles as absentee ballot board participants or election judges? Come on! Then it's really, truly, tyranny has descended without... Let's believe we can still go and be on an absentee ballot board, that we can still go and be an election judge, and we can be a delegate. So by just these three acts, ballot board, election judge, be a delegate. This audience can spread this out to hundreds of thousands of people. We can change the country. We can change the future of history. You can participate in a historical movement that's going to lead us to freedom or death. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? But that thing I just read comes from the Biden administration's assessment of extremism and it goes on for a long time. You can go download it. It's quite interesting to read it. The point is, in countries all over the world, thought that is not congruent with the narrative of the government is being criminalized everywhere. So where are we at? What's going on? What's really going on? We re- just recently there was a vote. There was this is just a litmus test of where we are in the Senate. There's a there's something called the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Are you familiar? If you're familiar with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, if 
you're welcome to raise your hand in a live chat. Who are the Joint Chiefs of Staff? The Joint Chiefs are the leaders of the various branches of the military that function to run the military and to advise the civilian authority on military matters. And the Joint Chiefs has a chief chief, a head chief. It was General Milley. He's retiring. We're now going to have a new general, an Air Force General, Charles C.Q. Brown, Jr. He's moving into the nation's top military position. He was uh, affirmed in the Senate by a vote of 83 to 11. Despite critics who cited Brown's past statements about the military's need for more diversity, equity, and inclusion, known as DEI. Quote, with the U.S. military experiencing crisis levels of low recruitment, a number of General Brown's past statements and actions raise concerns that, as the nation's highest-ranking military officer, he would prioritize the woke DEI priorities of the Biden administration over merit-based criteria, close quote, said Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin. Senator Ron Johnson is completely woke. And I don't mean woke like DEI. I mean, this guy is awake. Ron Johnson, he's, I'm in Minnesota. Wisconsin has a border. It's close by. I've, I have followed him for years. The guy is a hitter. He is, in my opinion, the one, one out of 100. That's 1%. The one out of 100, completely 100% reliable nationalist vote in the Senate. He is consistent. He is ideologically consistent because he's coming out of an ideological center, which is about the well-being of the American citizen, about the nation of the United States, and the value of every citizenship here in the country, of every, the value of every citizen. The citizenship of every citizen has a value, and he wants to build that value. Excuse me for being inarticulate. I'm practicing. I hope you're practicing. I'm sorry I'm, uh, well, they tell me, my producers tell me I should never say I'm sorry. So let me rephrase. I'm angry today, really angry because I'm in touch with that 10, only 10 of 49 Republican senators voted against this new chairman because he's obviously being put into his role to politicize the military. The military has always been politicized, always. It's very naive for people to say it was this great war fighting thing and that's it's always been an instrument of social change. Always. Always, always, always. And right now, because the globalists have control, they're in control. We're not fighting to stop them from getting control. They're in control. We're fighting to maintain our, our freedom here in the United States. That's what we're doing. That's what I'm doing. And I hope you're going to join me. How do you do it? Spread out the podcast. Talk to your friends. Bring them to Free People Radio. And why do I say free people? Because free people is one of the few channels where we are unabashedly nationalist and unabashedly seeking the kind of change that overthrows a business model that relies on slavery, drugs, and piracy. We're not kidding around about it. At least I'm not. 
Professor Penn is not kidding around about this. I have a memory. I have an ancient memory, and I'm gifted with the ability to look into the future. And I know this business model has got to go if we're going to retain any semblance of human well-being. Because this business model does not give a shit about my well-being. Not a shit. Couldn't care less about any individual citizen. That's not what it's about. It's globalist in nature. Now, here are the 10 senators that voted against this guy. And they voted against him because he is going to be in his role with the mission of transforming the military into a woke organization. That's why he's there. Senator Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, voted against. Senator Mike Braun, Republican Indiana, Uni Party. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, Uni Party. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican Missouri, question mark, Yale graduate, question mark. He might be coming over to the nationalist side. Senator Eric Schmidt, Republican Missouri, not sure. Senator Mike Lee, Republican Utah, not sure. Senator Cynthia Loomis, Republican Wyoming, not sure. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, I'm sure he's with the Uni Party. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican Alabama, probably a nationalist. He's working it out. And Senator J.D. Vance, Republican Ohio, I hope he's with the nationalists. That's all we got, folks. That's it. Rand Paul voted for this guy. I mean, come on. Where are we at here? Maybe we have two or three reliable votes in the Senate. Maybe. Maybe. And let's talk about the House. Oh, there's a big... Are you watching this? The government's going to shut down? Because Matt Gates is going to shut the government down. Why is he going to shut it down? Because that debt ceiling bill, where my congressman here in Minnesota, Tom Emmer from CD6, touted it as the greatest cut in, Amer- in American political history, $2.5 trillion. That was a complete BS story. They're adding money onto the debt a trillion dollars since that bill, and they got another trillion they're going to pull out of their hat here between now and the end of the year. So we're going to be at $34 trillion in debt, like right now, and there's a small group, a small group, and they're called extremists and radicals, and they're called everything but American citizens. In other words, to demand that our government balance its budget is an extreme position. I want you to get your mind wrapped around this, because I have to, and I'm talking to all the people that are watching me because they like me. Maybe you won't like me so much because, you know, I'm getting a little bit radicalized by your willing to accept this. People say, oh, we can't balance the budget. It's going to create chaos. Yes. And would you like the chaos of the currency collapses? Like my friends. Remember, my friends Rob and Scott, we were sitting in the cafe in Germany in 1933. The Nazis just took part, you know, power. I was smoking an unfiltered cigarette. So was Rob and Scott, because, of course, everybody smoked cigarettes then. And we were drinking our coffee. It was beautiful. We all were dressed in suits, hats. I mean, people had style back then. It wasn't jeans and T-shirts. We had style. And these guys were saying to me, it's not that bad. It's really not going to be that bad. It's just politics. It'll all work out. We're in Germany, after all. It's a civilized country. 
This is the country of Beethoven and Bach and Mozart. We have fantastic cultural institutions. We have universities. We have PhDs. We have a political infrastructure. It's not going to be that bad. And by the way, after all, we do need some organization and some order. So even though Hitler's speaking against the Jews, he is going to get the country back on track, isn't he? And I looked at Robin Scott and I said, you sons of b****s are out of your mind. They're going to kill us. Why don't you just listen to what they're saying? They're not hiding. Well, Robin Scott, they're not hiding right now. So to all the Republicans that are in Minnesota that are back in this uniparty play and that got anywhere from one to a billion dollars in their bank account, and I know some of the guys that got a billion, and you think you're safe, you're dumb. You're going to have nothing left. As my friend Thomas the Good said, you're the tallest of the midgets. That means the greater the pride, the greater the fall. It's going to hurt you a lot more than those young men that we saw rapping at the beginning that already don't have anything, like my friend Tanner. You know, if the currency collapses, is your life going to change very much? <laughs> yeah, it would be very different. You think so? 100%. Why do you think that? Because I would... First of all, I would be leaving. I would be getting away from the city area because everybody's going to be freaking out. So I'd be getting my daughter and going far away. Um, there's no point in recording video. I'm sorry, but like if, if everything collapsed, I'm not worried about making videos anymore. I'm worried about survival. Let me tell you what's going to happen when the currency collapses. It's going to go down just like this. The banks are going to close for two weeks. You're not going to be able to go anywhere because there's going to be martial law. If you go out, they're going to arrest you or shoot you. You're going to have to stay home. And when they open everything back up, guess what you're going to get? Universal basic income. It's going to go right on your smartphone. You're right. You won't have to make videos because they're going to pay you credits on your smartphone. And you're not going to have to work. You're going to get digital currency on your phone. So for your generation, you're going to get paid for doing nothing. Isn't that great? I don't believe you. That's exactly what they, well, you don't have to believe me. Figure it out for yourself and go read. Yeah. Because the plan to do it is written down all over the federal register and all over everywhere. Darn. They're going to give you what's called UBI, universal basic income. You're not going to be expected to work. You're going to be expected to do what you're told. Because if you do record the Professor Penn video and they recognize you're doing it, they'll shut your money off. And then you'll starve to death and your daughter will starve to death. So you know what? You're right. You won't be doing videos anymore because they'll have complete control of everything you do. That's where we're heading, Robin Scott. That's where your kids are headed. So when I speak radically, about the need to address the debt. And we have 50 people in the Congress, maybe, that are really addressing this issue. And they're being called radicals and extremists, and they're just labeling them. And, you know, your generation is listening to this Orange Man bad, yeah. and all the people that are with Orange Man, which a lot of these nationalists are not with Orange Man, but he's the standard bearer right now. What they're saying is balance the budget so your daughter can eat, so you can work and feed your daughter and maintain your freedom. That's what they're working for. 
And they can't even say it because if they said what they were really doing, which is maintaining the currency so that we don't have total economic tyranny, they'd even be further sanctioned and pressed upon. This is where we're at. A handful. So let's just get our minds right. This is why I'm not praying today, but prayer is really an important thing. 285 electoral votes are tied up in states that have automatic voter registration and driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. 285. Takes 272 to win. And let's say we get 286 or 207. Let's say by some great movement of the people, we actually get the 272 electoral votes needed to win. And if we elect uniparty people, nothing changes. That's how screwed we are. That's how screwed I am. And people accept this like it's working great. Remember, the people elected the Nazis in 1933. They quickly Nazified the country through a program called Gleichtelschung. Gleichtelschung, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Gleichtelschung, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Gleichtelschung. I hope I get this. You think we're going to get this up on YouTube today, or am I getting out there too far? I think that we'll be fine. I'm going to be honest. I think you're doing a really good job at, you're just laying out the facts. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Thank you. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I we'll hope see. you're right. <laughs> Because they can always come get me later, right? Remember what they did to those people in Saudi Arabia? And you want to know something? I'm, I'm at a point in my life that I pray for the strength. You know, people tell me, I just was out with someone, she, she was telling me she's ready to be a martyr. Great. And I said to her, have you ever experienced really intense pain? No. Great. Martyrdom is not fun. For those of you out there that have had really intense pain for a long period of time, which I have had. You know, it's no fun. So I'm praying for the, st the strength because I don't want my crocodile mouth to overwhelm my Tweety Bird ass, okay? We have to develop the faith to live this out. That's where we're heading. But wouldn't it be great if the, the people that are listening to me, and I, you know, I want to be likable. I really do. I do. I want I'm just not in that mood today. If you actually spread this out and we could get hundreds of thousands and millions of people involved in the Free People of America movement and they all went on their absentee ballot boards and they all went and were election judges and they all became delegates and in one election cycle we could fix this without martyrs, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. We still have that chance. Well, let's look at what's happening when people sit on their arses. Crime explodes in the Minneapolis suburbs. Hey, guess what? My suburb, where I live. Let's play this piece from Fox News. It's five minutes and 20 seconds long under number five, please. All right, now to America's crime crisis. Our next guest and her son were violently carjacked right in front of their own home as suspects, uh, as the suspects uh, stole her SUV. 
Well, they did call the police eventually. Now residents in one Minnesota town are packing City Hall, rallying around that family. We, the law-abiding people of this community, have had enough. When these kind of car thefts and with guns and this is happening in a community like this, something needs to be done. This could have happened to anyone in this room. Any person sitting anywhere. Can you stop this could that, happen. please? You, you, you. Did you hear what that lady had to say in a community like this? I want to bookmark it and come back to it. Please continue. You, I know this because it happened in my driveway. And it happened in the driveway of this family. Kelly and her husband, Craig Beeson, join us right now. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Kelly, we just saw you. One of the worst moments of your life. Tell us what happened. Um, I saw a couple of guys run up our driveway, and I um, ran out to the garage to see what was going on. And one was in my husband's car, one was in my car. And the one took off running when he saw me, and I chased him. Um, then we were out in the street. I managed to get their cell phones um, out of their car. That's me getting the cell phones out of their car. Um, and then they came and attacked me. Oh. By this time, my son was there. He was calling 911, and one of them went over and uh, also attacked him. Um, then when they were leaving, they drove at us with both stolen cars. Both cars that they had were stolen. Man, you know, this wasn't like it happened at midnight or 3 a.m. in some part of town you've never been to. This is your driveway at uh, 1045 in the morning. That's correct. Yep. They followed us home, I think, from the grocery store, my, me and my uh, nine-year-old daughter. Uh, and your town, Minnetonka, that is a very nice town. Uh, you know, when I think about it, I don't, I don't think about a carjacking problem, Kelly. No, I don't. I wouldn't either. But then as after this happened, we did hear a lot of from other people that this had happened to them. Things had been broken into. It seems like it was becoming more common. And Kelly, when you look at that video where the guys come and, you know, accost you outside the car, I'm sure in your head you can think, this could have gone so bad, could have gone so sideways, and by the grace of God, I am sitting here today. Yeah, I, I think once I saw my son out there, that kind of really brought things to light, how serious it was, and especially when they went over and tried to take his phone and attacked him. That was when it really, the severity of it really came true. Absolutely. And Craig, it's your it's your family. It's your wife. It's your son. And that is why you called on your town uh, to snap out of it. The only way things are going to get better if you all get together. How'd you make that plea to your town? Well, I think, you know, I've, I've learned more about the uh, uh, the criminal justice system in the last month, more than I care to know. But I think all signs point back to Hennepin County DA, uh, Mary Mariotti. She, um, she stood on this position that she was not going to uh, prosecute for crimes like this, which I think is absolutely just irresponsible at best. Um, and, and I think when I found that out and I started highlighting that, people started stepping up. They started saying, yeah, this happened to me or this happened to my neighbor. And I think people just, uh, they're, they're infuriated. And we just showed some video of people uh, stepping up to microphones in your area talking before the uh, town council about how things have got to change. Do you, do you feel like things are changing or is, was this just a blip on the radar? No, I don't feel like things are changing. Every elected official that I've reached out to has, has sat down and talked to Kelly and myself about this, except the Hennepin County DA. And the only person that can do something about this right now is the Hennepin County DA. Well, I do want to say someone was arrested yesterday. One of these guys was arrested yesterday. Do they, are, is the person in jail? 
Correct. He's in jail. All right. As Did of yesterday, he was arrested. And how many in all are they looking for? Uh, there were four guys total, so there's still three out there. Do you feel safe? Um, I do. I'm a lot more cautious now. I mean, like, we make sure the doors are locked. You know, I don't leave my car outside of the garage anymore, um, which I really didn't do it that much anyway. But we take a lot more precautions than we used to, that's for sure. Yesterday, we were showing some video of somebody uh, in Connecticut simply opened the garage door, drove in, and that's when the bad guys came in and carjacked him. You just don't know. Everybody's got to be so careful. Right, right. And it can happen. I mean, it can happen again, yeah. especially if they follow you and you don't know they've followed you. No kidding. Well, um, we're glad you're okay, Kelly. Uh, Kelly and Craig thank Beeson, you. thank you very much for joining us live. Good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank keep, you. Keep us posted on if they find the other three guys. Okay, a little bit of uh, basic self-defense around this. I know when I'm being followed. Do you? That's number one. I mean, if you go to the store, pay attention. If you're being followed, you're in a car. You're in six, 7,000 pounds of steel. Nothing's going to happen. You have power. You got a cell phone. You can call 911 and say, I'm being followed and identify yourself. And hey, you know, if you drive around long enough, 10 or 15 minutes, the cops will finally show up. Number one. Number two. If you're lucky enough to have a car, and if you're lucky enough to have a garage, this is what we've done, right? We open the garage door, we get in the car, and we drive out. Well, when the garage door opens and you're getting in your car, that's when the carjackers are going to show up. And they're going to jack your ass out of the car and steal your car. Very simple fix on this. Get in the car with the garage closed. Turn the car on. Then open the garage door from inside your car. Look in your rearview mirror. If you see people coming at you, excuse me, back out. <laughs> Not, I have to be careful. Maybe you should beep that out, okay? Because the point is, get in your car first and then open your garage door so you have some freedom of movement to defend yourself. We have to think constantly in a martial way. Like, for example, for Professor Penn, I like to walk. I talk about it all the time. This neighborhood, Minnetonka, that's my city. I live in the last house at the border. You walk across the street, I'm in the next city, Plymouth, where it gets a lot less affluent very quickly. I'm the last house, which means I'm on the wrong side of the tracks. If you go to the other direction, this is in Senate District 45, you're in Wyzetta which is, I think, the second richest uh, area, the second richest town in the United States. It's on Lake Minnetonka. Rich, rich, rich. And, of course, this crime is coming out to Minnetonka and Wyzetta. And what happened was, oh, my goodness, in a, in a town like ours. Oh, oh, really? And how would you like to describe that? That would be where there's no black people and no brown people. It's all white people. In a town like ours, oh, there's crime. You know, this is a problem, right? The, the people, this is why I'm so down on the Republican Party of Minnesota. They do not view themselves as being a party of the people. They view themselves as being a party of the elites. That's why nothing's going to change. 
because they don't want it to change. They want to get a different district, a Hennepin County prosecutor, and replace the Soros-funded Mary Moriarty is if that's going to change the issue. No. What's going to change the issue is a balanced budget and jobs. Anyone's going to steal if they're hungry. Anyone will steal to feed their kids. I don't want to say anybody. But you take the average 23-year-old father, like Tanner, and if his daughter was starving to death, I think he'd try to protect his daughter. That's a normal human, that's a species response. So when you set up a culture where the jobs are all exported, there's tremendous inflation, you sow seeds of social chaos, you pit one group against another, and then you get a law enforcement establishment or a military establishment, which is now changing the rules. That's what you're going to get. That's my town. That's why I say Minnesota is the fault line between nationalism and globalism. And let me tell you, and and I'm not going to brag. This is not me bragging. I walk in the dark in this neighborhood by myself every night. And every night I know that a car that comes up on me could stop and four teenagers could pile out to kick my ass. I know it. They're not taking my self-governance away from me. They're not. I'm sorry, they're not. They're not capable to do so. They do not control or own me. They do not control or own my streets. Now, I may take an ass-kicking, but I'm not going to concede my freedom and my freedom of movement, which is what this is intended to do. So let's be very clear that crime is now spreading into the suburbs, that people's little bubbles are going to get penetrated. And what are they going to do? They're going to scream for more police, which is being run by the diversity, equity, and inclusion people. You know, you people are dumb. You're really dumb. But you know how you get smart? Critical thinking. That's the last segment today. Wasn't that a nice segue? That was a great segue, isn't it? You know, we get, we get critical thinking by working on it. It's not something that comes naturally. We, we have to develop it. It's a muscle. Uh, and it's really, really complex in here, this, this area. Let's just summarize the start. On one side, we've got critical thinking, which includes doubt and the scientific method. On the other pole, we have discernment and knowing through a spiritual awareness. Now, these two things are not in opposition. The people that have spiritual awareness and discernment are not opposed to critical thinking, but the people that are into doubt, they just think that the discernment people are nuts. So that's where we're at, out of balance. Let's look at the grandfather of the doubt. Play this little short from Bertrand Russell. Very interesting. A Satanist letting us know what he thinks. For those of us who reject Marx, can you offer any positive philosophy to help us toward a more hopeful future? Uh, Well, as to that, you see, 
I think one of the troubles of the world has been the habit of dogmatically believing something or other. Stop, please. So his opening bid was to criticize religion, which, you know, to make faith work, you have to believe. You have to believe in the unseen. And I, I can't help but to say his voice sounds remarkably like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. This guy is pure evil, and he's one of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. Bertrand Russell, he was the first philosopher of the New World Order. Please continue. I think all these matters are full of doubt, and the rational man will not be too sure that he's right. I think that we ought always to entertain our opinions with some measure of doubt. I shouldn't wish people dogmatically to believe any philosophy, not even mine. Not even mine. No, I think we should accept our philosophies with a measure of doubt. What I do think is this, that uh, if a philosophy is to bring happiness, it should be inspired by kindly feeling. What he's done in one deft move is invalidate all of religious thinking. Because religion requires a giving up of critical thinking. This is a really interesting node. When you give up your critical thinking, how is it that you could have the faith of a mustard seed, and if you had it, you could cast an o a mountain into the ocean? That really goes against critical thinking, right? How am I going to lift up a, a mountain? How am I going to lift up a mountain? Or like the scene in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker is trying to lift up the, the, the spaceship, can't do it, it's shaking in the muck, and Yoda just lifts it up and moves it because he's given over, he's found a, a, a balance between critical thinking and faith. He's developed both attributes of mind, and he's balanced them in a way that he can think critically. This is Yoda, who was a you know, mythical character, obviously. But that's part of our cultural heritage, the ability to think something through and understand it, but then be able to go to a level where we have the faith to affect change. It's a very this is this is pretty mucky. Because what I'd like to say to you is you have to give up your critical thinking and your doubt to fully implement faith. That's why I didn't read the psalm today up front, because it's all about that issue. The psalm that I picked out to read today is all about this issue about faith. Now, critical thinking, if you go to the wrong place, you're going to find out that everything they teach you about critical thinking, and you can go and look this up. Critical thinking is a fundamental part of being able to understand what's happening to us. To deconstruct the narrative requires critical thinking. To solve the problem requires faith. Let me say this again. To deconstruct this narrative that we've been living in, to wake up from this fantasy that we're embedded in, requires critical thinking. But to solve the problem, the truth will set us free of the lies. But to create a new reality, that's going to be an act of faith if we're going to get out of this thing. 
and really make change that matters and is enduring. You go to the wrong place about critical thinking, and I urge you to go study critical thinking because I don't think it's taught very well anymore. You know, you'll read things like, look at where the information has come from. Is the source trustworthy? What is their motivation for presenting this information? For example, are they trying to sell you something or get you to take a certain action? See, so right off the bat, Professor Penn, we're, you know, Free People Radio is advertising. We have advertisers. We're trying to sell you something. So, you know, be careful because we might be trying to pull the wool over your eyes. You know, this kind of thing is pure BS. You got to be careful where you go to even learn about critical thinking. Because what they're really trying to do is make you go to trusted sources, which just continues the narrative as it is. Here's the things that I think are important. Observation. You have to learn how to observe things. That's a skill. You have to analyze things. Once a problem has been identified, analytical skills become essential. The ability to analyze and effectively evaluate a situation involves knowing what the facts, data, or information are about that problem. This includes gathering unbiased research. Okay, this is a BS story. There is no such thing as unbiased research. What you have to do is collect a lot of research. I read 11 newspapers from all over the world. I read the Indonesian newspaper, Chinese newspaper, Mexican newspaper, European newspaper. I read all kinds of news sources here from the left and right in the United States. You have to, so to speak, triangulate on the facts. Take the facts in from many different perspectives. If you're not going to take the time to do it, you're not going to get there. You know, there's, there's facts, there's knowledge, and then there's wisdom. Just acquiring the facts is a big job. And oh, how I wish I wish I could watch the football game. Oh, how I wish I could go to a movie. Oh, how I wish I could just be relaxed. Hey, guess what? We're at war. Get it? I mean, really, if we're not going to respond to this as the American people, we're going to get what we deserve. If we take no action, if we don't get involved in the absentee ballot boards, and we don't go and become election referees and judges, and we don't become delegates, and we look up in a few years, and it's universal basic income, which you'd never heard of before. Is that is that correct? Well, I had heard it. I was just more saying that I don't think that's how it's going to play out because I just don't. How is that feasible? That doesn't even make sense. It's digital money. Yeah. It's not real. Do you think that money in your pocket's real? It's a piece of paper. Well, no, I get, yeah, I get that. But if you just keep inventing it, then like to the government, it's going to mean nothing. It means nothing right now. And when everybody figures out that the money in your pocket is worth nothing, that's when the universal basic income is going to start. They're going to destroy this currency. It's paper. There's no value in that paper. It's yeah. just a piece of paper. So what's the difference between that and a digital currency on your phone? There's no difference. The, I guess for me, the difference is I see paper money, like it's not backed by anything anymore, but now it's like representative of your time. It's, it's like time of labor that you've spent. So then if I'm just sitting at home, that, that money is even more worthless because there was no actual labor done to get that money. You know what I'm saying? Like you can say the paper dollar is kind of backed by just labor time. Right. Essentially. But if you're just at home, not doing anything, where does that time come you from? You could even say that all loans are based on the future, future energy inputs required to pay that money back. 
In other words, if you buy mo- borrow money, yeah, and you no longer have a car to go to work, how are you gonna pay it back? Yeah. Oh, yeah. but fossil fuels are no good. You see, we're being herded into a place where none of this is real anymore. We're going into the Great Reset or the Great American Jubilee. That's what we're talking about. The Great Reset means you're going to get digital currency. I think a lot of you know that. Tanner's, Tanner's still clinging to the belief that they care if you work or not. They don't. Irrelevant, and I'll tell you why. The clone army's coming out here very shortly. Robots and artificial intelligence are going to do a lot of the work. That makes humans, guess what? Irrelevant. And what do Darwinists do with populations that are irrelevant? We have some good historical markers for how that plays out. Inference. Inference is a skill that involves drawing conclusions about the information you collect. You have to get a lot of different inputs. You have to start to infer what the facts mean and create knowledge out of facts. Like if you go to 50% of the news sources and they say the Ukrainians are kicking the Russians' ass, and you go to 50% of the news sources and they say the Russians are kicking the Ukrainians' asses, then you need to go to who are the news sources. So if your news source that the Russians are winning are boots on the ground in the Ukraine making reports back? Hey, that's pretty good reportage. Now you go into, is it a lie or not? Is it disinformation or not? There's a lot of levels of this thing. But the way to get to the truth is to steep yourself in information, and then eventually knowledge will emerge. And how does that happen? It happens through discernment. Discernment. What is discernment? You know, after you've identified the problem, you've done your research, you've determined how relevant the data is you're looking at, you ask questions, you identify solutions, you present a solution to yourself. What am I going to do? Like go be on an absentee ballot board. And then you analyze your decision and you say, okay, is this right? And you're continuously going through this process. There's the other side of the equation, which is discernment. That's called knowing. Knowing, and that's a big part of the podcast we're going to have to start talking about because there is a spiritual dimension of this that is just not taught in our schools. It's just not taught. You know who learns it? Athletes, professional athletes. Do you ever notice how there's certain athletes that can slow the game down, speed the game up, and they can make plays and do things that are just miraculous? They see things other people don't see. They have discernment. They've practiced, and they've practiced, and they've practiced, and they've practiced, and their timing is right. And it looks magical, actually, because how they how the heck is the, the average civilian going to catch a pass with one hand? Hey, there's a lot of practice that goes into that. It's not an accident. So these are normal human capabilities that we've allowed to become super normal just because we're not practicing them ourselves. But every one of us can take some discipline and practice it every day and develop skills that make us more than we are today. And part of that benefit is we're going to gain the ability of discernment. And what is discernment? Discernment is to pick all these facts from all these different sources and develop knowledge. And the wisdom is knowing what to do. 
But that wisdom has to be tempered with discernment. We have to know from in our insight, from our spiritual selves, what is going on for us. We have to see it for ourselves. And we have an explosion now of people seeing the same thing. Let's spread that out. If I can leave you with a message for today, it's an appeal. You know what's going on. You know or you wouldn't be watching this. Spread it out. We're in an information war. A lot, of, a lot of the world's in an actual shooting war. Spread out the information so that our children have food. Spread it out. Use your discernment to get the facts into a wisdom and share your wisdom with everyone. Release the judgment that we don't speak about religion and politics. Release that judgment such that we might live and live well. And just to remind us what living well is all about, and I want to thank you for joining. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Let's go out with a little bit of Oscar Peterson just because there's so much to live for. Thank you very much for joining, and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon again. 